0: Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones, with you. Fresh content every Thursday right here on Sportsnet 590, The Fan. And make sure you subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Spotify, or otherwise. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. We've got another former Toronto Raptor joining us in just a couple of minutes. Uh, and we're also going to hook up with the radio voice of the Atlanta Hawks later in the show, Steve Holman. But Jonesy, the breaking news—I suppose not really breaking anymore—but the newest news in the NBA came down on Wednesday evening during our Raptors broadcast that Draymond Green, for his punch to the to the to the throat to the face to the head of Yusuf Nurkic a couple of nights uh, ago earlier in the week, uh, suspended indefinitely. He will be suspended without pay to the tune of about $154,000 per game, roughly. But he is going to be allowed to still practice with the team for however long the system goes on. And I. it sounds like at least some of the details coming out is that he will also be seeking out some counseling or treatment as a part of this indefinite suspension. And it's hard to say that the league got this wrong because a multi-time offender, as good as he is as a player and as involved as he is even as a broadcaster, as a little side hustle, man, the lesson has not been learned And I think the message thus need to be sent. And I think from the outside looking in, it sure appears like the dude does need some help.
1: Well, the NBA is, you're right, they are sending a message. And the fact that he's been a repeat offender, I think, is something that strikes a chord more so than anything else. And you're right. Maybe there is some help. Maybe there are some discussions that are needed. And and it sure sounds like it when they took, you know, a meeting with Adam Silver and his agent, Rich Paul, and Draymond Green, and who else might be in the that meeting. Mike Dunleavy Jr.? Yeah, I I like, you know, we're looking for a solution. That's what I see. We're looking for a solution here. We're not just, you know, we're not just going to send Draymond off and say, that's it, you're done. Uh, We want him to be part of the league. He has been a big part of the league, you know, a, a good player in the league. You know, people are saying, and it'd be tough to, not put him in the hall of fame i mean that's a debate for another time but um yeah it, it's it, there's something needs to be done and i'm glad the nba is attacking it that way
0: well we'll talk about uh, draymond green maybe a little bit later in the show and i have a feeling we'll be talking about him in future weeks and and, and maybe months as well because it's going to be an ongoing story as he goes into an indefinite suspension right around the same time that John Morant is finally going to be coming out of his 25-game suspension and rejoining the very much struggling Memphis Grizzlies. But we'll put all that aside right now as we shift our attention, well, to a little reminiscing, I suppose, as we bring into the show former Toronto Raptor and NBA veteran Tyler Hansbrough. Tyler best way to start this off maybe is just kind of to 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 catch up a little bit it's been a few years and uh and and we were talking a little bit offline before officially recording but you're keeping busy with a lot of different things but maybe you can fill the audience in on on some of those because at least one if not a couple might be unexpected to basketball fans to Raptor fans specifically so why don't you give us an update on the world of Tyler Hansbro yeah
2: well I started podcasting which uh That would be a surprise but probably not as big a surprise as uh you know what i'm what else i'm going to tell you but you know i I do a lot of podcasts when we cover college basketball cover a little bit of nba it's uh sleepwalk worldwide and it's on uh every platform if you guys want to listen to it but uh besides that i've really gotten into pickleball and uh i've been absolutely addicted to it i've always loved ping pong So people who don't know pickleball, it would be like taking tennis and table tennis and combining the sports. And so um, I play with my brother and my family, and we've uh, we've all kind of gotten addicted to it. So I thoroughly enjoy that. That's what I've been up to recently.
1: Well, listen, we know that uh, another NBA great, uh, Rick Barry, has has really gotten into pickleball. What's your level, Tyler, in terms of, I, we, look, we know you're competitive, but are you in tournaments? Is it just kind of a, you know, a, a recreational kind of club thing with some people that you play with, or, or are, you, uh, are you getting real serious about it?
2: Well, you know, I've started jumping up in levels. Last tournament I played in was in uh, California, the uh, San Clemente PPA, and I've got a really good – I had a really good mixed partner. We played the 5-0 level, which is the highest amateur level you can play at. So I started out uh, at the lower levels and gradually gotten better and better and worked on my skill. Now I've, I've had a lot of free time as well to do that. So, you know, I'm, I've gotten a lot better uh, at a good, a good pace. So, uh, yeah, I'm playing at the 5-0 level right now, pretty competitive. But – uh yeah, that's uh that's where I play at. So
0: So 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 let me ask you this then, Tyler. Like the competitive juices then from a from a kid that's played sports and all sorts of different sports from a young age, but obviously making it all the way to the NBA and, and the career you had and everything else and a standout collegiate career and whatnot. What's the comparison or or what what can you get out of pickleball compared to like when you were playing basketball at such a high and elite level like is it is it the fire is it the is it the competition is it just just staying active like what is it that you draw so much from it and and, and, and that has you know allowed the love of the sport to kind of grow so quickly for you
2: well for me um, I haven't found a sport that I really you know love like I did basketball and so for me after basketball would be pickleball and I've I've played a lot of golf and I've really gotten into golf uh once I was done playing and it was uh kind of the aspect I liked about golf was the middle challenge of you know you you know you kind of hit a bad shot then all of a sudden you want to hit a Tiger Woods shot onto the green but then you got to realize hey listen I'm not Tiger Woods I'm uh you know, I need to do what I can do as far as you know, hit my five iron and keep it straight and try to save par instead of, you know, take my three wood out, which I can't hit straight and try to, you know, hit a hero shot and get a birdie. But pickleball has the same mental aspect to me as golf, and also it fills a competitive void, uh, you know, that I lost when I gave up basketball. And so it's been a good combination of that. Now, you can't get too uh, amped up like you do in basketball because it can be counterproductive to you on the pickleball court. But, you know, there's a mental aspect of, you know, hitting the right shot and being patient in pickleball that there is in golf, but also the competition from basketball in a way. uh, I find that on the pickleball court.
1: Tyler, have you had a chance to play with some of your past NBA um, brothers? Like, I, I know it's, pickleball has become a thing. And are there any other NBA guys that you are around or that you play with or you kind of compete with or keep in touch with the same way you would when you were in the league?
2: Yeah, so it's funny you say that because uh, Aaron Gray, who played with me at the Raptors, He's gotten into pickleball, and so you know he's, he's uh, sent a few messages back and forth talking about pickleball, and he's fully addicted to it as well. We haven't played against each other on the on the court yet, but we're heading in that direction. At some point, we're going to have to play against each other because I know he's really gotten into it, and I have seen a few other NBA players. Uh, you know, I was just at the Nationals in Dallas, where Rick Barry was. And so I thought that was really cool. But um, I, I've seen uh, one other NBA player. Uh, he's an older player. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. Uh, but, yeah, there's, uh, there's athletes, you know, uh, from all pro sports that I see occasionally at these pickleball courts. I actually just saw Nick Foles got into pickleball out in San Clemente. So it's kind of cool to see these different athletes from different sports, and then we can compete against each other in pickleball.
0: Hey, T- Tyler, we'll leave the pickleball in a second. Second here, but but, but I want to ask one more here. Correct me if I'm wrong. My my knowledge of pickleball isn't the greatest. I, I know this. I know what the sport is. I've played it a couple times myself. But I'm talking about this league that has now started with teams popping up around, and and I don't know all the various levels and competitions that even that you, that you're talking about. But correct me if I'm wrong. Aren't there a bunch of athletes that have Invested in teams and they're part owners? Like, I'm thinking, if I'm not mistaken, uh, like, even is, is LeBron involved in some capacity? Or maybe I'm totally wrong, but I, I think there are a bunch of athletes that are now popping up as owners, and I'm wondering if that's something that intrigues or interests you in any way as well.
2: <laughs> yeah, you know what? I wish I was good enough at pickleball to be on one of these teams, but uh, <laughs> my game hasn't reached that level, and uh, a lot of those players on that team, their former D1, and they're a lot younger, tennis players who uh, happen to pick up uh, pickleball. But, you know, I would be interested in, you know, being involved in some capacity, but right now I don't see myself uh, being a player on those teams because it takes, <laughs> it takes a lot of work, and I haven't uh, I haven't developed the skill, and I'm not good enough to really be on one of those teams yet. Uh, well, hey.
1: You're a grinder. You're uh you're a pro athlete. So who knows where you're headed with it? So uh, good, good luck, man. Hopefully you get to a level that you're, well, I mean, as athletes we're never satisfied, but hopefully you get to a level where you can kind of pat yourself on the back. Uh, Tyler, I, the state yeah. of the NBA game right now, as, as we look at it um, I know you do a lot of college work, but when you look at the NBA game, give me your assessment of it and how it's, you know, how it's changed since you were in it. It's, it's, the game has morphed a lot. It, it it doesn't quite look like what we saw, you know, 10, 12, 15 years ago.
2: Not at all. And, um, you know, right now there's a, you know, there's a big emphasis on the three-point shot and playing small ball. And you kind of saw the direction the NBA was heading uh, towards the, you know, when I was in the NBA, you saw it heading that direction. I'm not sure that, you know, I'd see teams make a drastic change to what it is now. But, you know, personally, from from where I stand and, you know, being a big man, um, I miss the physicality of the NBA. Like, I'm talking about, you know, I miss the big men going at it down low, sometimes the physical part of it. I kind of miss that aspect. But I do appreciate a lot of the skill that a lot of the players have developed um, I, I do like seeing that. But the one thing I don't like seeing is, you know, I was watching the Pelicans and I saw I saw Jonas uh, drill a three last night against the Wizards and I start laughing because, you know, in my mind, like when I played with him, there was no like, you know, you would never take one of your best players that's so good around the rim and try to take him and start having him shoot threes. Now he's developed that shot and he's having a great, you know, you know, he's had a great career, but I do miss the impact of the big men down low and I miss the physical aspect of the NBA. But I do appreciate a lot of the skill that they developed, but I don't like the fact that a lot of big men are trying to you know, when they you know, when the off season hits, it's like they're trying to develop a three point shot, you know, instead of low post moves and how to score around the rim. I'm not a big fan of that.
0: So, so Tyler, let me. Ask, this is gonna be a long-winded question. I, 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 I'll, I'll preface it by saying that, how or will it change if you think it will? Because to your point, it is happening. I mean, across the league, it's like it's almost like if you're a big, if you can't shoot, like we were, we were just, uh, you know, the the Atlanta Hawks in town on on Wednesday and Friday night, but, you know, for a little as Jonesy calls a little mini baseball series against the Raptors, and. Um, a Kong Wu comes in for the Hawks, shooting 20% on the season, and on Wednesday night he jacks up three or four or five triples and ends up hitting three of them. Like, he's still around the rim, he's rebounding, he's blocking shots, he's a you know an, an active big man, but yet he's on the perimeter as well. And if this is the way that kids are now trying to play the game, if they're coming up through the college ranks thinking, I need to play this way because if I want to make it to the next level, I now can't just be a shot blocker or a post player and a rebounder, I need to be able to get out on the perimeter and at least be a bit of a decent threat. And if that then goes through, Tyler, a a generation of players, it's going to take a long, a hell of a long time, I would imagine, for it to flip back to the point where, if it ever does, 10 years, 20 years from now, where, okay, now there's less emphasis on the perimeter and more emphasis down on the post and the big man and the quote-unquote traditional game. Or will it ever flip back? Like, have we just turn to page and this is the way it's going to be now. Uh,
2: to me, I do think it's going to make a, a gradual way back and it's going to take a team that's kind of stepping outside the box. Now, if you ask me, you know, if you look at, you know, some of the younger, the younger game, well, I'll just use this as college. Like to me, Zach Eady, he's uh seven, four, whatever, dominating the college game 10 years ago. I think he would have been a top 15 lottery pick, you know, top, you know, top 15 pick in the NBA. But the fact that, you know, he's you know, as physically dominant and as big as he is in the college game, and also people will talk about this, he's a good free, free throw shooter. And to have a big man that has that size and dominant ability and has good hands around the rim, you would never think that he'd be a four-year guy in college. And a lot of people, you know, look at him and they're like, ah, he doesn't shoot the three ball, which is just, to me, is just an awful way of looking at it because with his size and his ability to dominate the game from a physical aspect, you know, I just I can't get why teams wouldn't want to even try or experiment with somebody like that. And I do think that it will make its way back, especially when I look at the NBA right now, I, I think, it's actually dominated by a lot of big men. I, I consider Giannis a big man, even though he's, you know, different. And he's a lot more mobile than a traditional big man. But also Jokic from Denver, and then you have Joel Embiid from the Seventy Sixers. I consider those arguably the top, you know, three of the top five NBA players right now. They're all big men. Now they have changed their game and they're more, you know, skilled than the traditional big man. But I do think it'll make its way back into your other point in your question that I don't like is the college big men think that they need to develop an outside three-point shot to even make it to the NBA, but the truth is I think there's a a process to getting to uh, developing the three-point shot for a big man, especially if you're a big man in college and you shoot, you know, let's just say 60% from the free throw line, there's no reason you should be actually working on your three-pointer and making that a huge emphasis because there's so many buckets and there's so many points you're leaving behind by not being a good free-throw shooter. And to me, you've got to develop, you know, the, the areas of your game that you impact the game. Uh, most importantly as a big man is you've got to be able to make your free throws and you've got to be skilled around the rim And then maybe you can start adding, like, let's just say the top of the key three-point shot, which would be an easier three-point shot uh, for a big man. And then you go to the corners, which is uh, analytically a high percentage three-point shot for a big man, like just the top of the key, and then you, you hit those two corner three shots. I think that would be a good way to look at it. But I don't like the fact that a lot of younger players, are thinking that they have to just develop a three-point shot when they're leaving behind so much of uh, skill inside and, you know, free throw shooting, all that stuff, and moving without the ball and playing defense. There's so much more to the game than the three-point shot.
1: Uh, Tyler, I, I mean, I'm kind of uh, kind of old-fashioned and traditional like that too. I mean, you know, you pointed out Giannis Jokic and be a, a good, no matter where you are in this game, a good big always beats a good little if if everything is equal. And, uh, you know, I, I, I wonder how, as you say, and you do a lot of college ball, I wonder how it's going to impact the college game. Like, how do you see it now? And I look at a place where you played at North Carolina and the head coach, Hubert Davis, former Raptor, uh, played for Coach Smith, uh, you know, kind of traditional... What do you see from Hubert from, you know, a top program like North Carolina as they, you know, as they morph? I mean, they, they almost won the thing, heck, a couple of years ago, they were that close, but what are you seeing from them? And how do you look at a guy like Hubert having played the traditional game and yet now coaching in this new wave game?
2: Yeah, well, they've got a lot of the NBA um, experienced coaches on staff and, the one thing I will say is about the college game and you know the NBA game going smaller is it's really provided, like, you know, we don't see this quality of big men right now that they have in college, like Hunter Dickinson from uh, Kansas right now. He might have been gone. And then you have Zach Eady, who I think would have definitely been gone, and then Armando for North Carolina, Armando Bacot who those are all really quality big men, and a lot of them are staying in school is because there's not a high demand for those type of players in the NBA right now. And now with North Carolina, you know, you're seeing more of a smaller lineup, but uh, what you're seeing is Armando is such a focal point of the offense is you're spreading shooters around. To open up the floor for Armando. Now that's where the small ball, to me, really has an advantage for the big men Is if you have a really good big man who demands a lot of tension from the defense, and you surround him with shooters, then you're going to see, you know, more opportunities to get him the ball down low and less trapping opportunities. But as far as North Carolina is playing this year, I mean they are running hard. Uh, Armando's actually. Looked like he's put more emphasis on rim running. And, uh, you know, we, we've got a four-man, three-man Harrison Ingram right now who where we can, we can go really small and have Armando in the lineup, which has been highly effective for North Carolina. But uh, as far as Hubert's going, you're seeing, yeah, I, I do see a lot more smaller ball, but we haven't gotten rid of the big man because Armando's one of the best players in the country, And, uh, you know, we go inside because, you know, when we get the ball to Armando down low, we have a huge advantage and surround him with shooters. You're starting to see this team really gel and come together uh, as far as, you know, the way Hubert's coaching North Carolina right now.
0: Hey, Tyler, you, you just brought up the name, um, and it ties in perfectly to the conversation we've been having now the last five, six minutes here about, uh, you know, bigs and translating the game from college to pro and, and beyond. You mentioned Zach Eady, the Canadian kid. What what kind of pro do you envision him being? Because there's no denying his skill, especially for his size, but does he fit with the way the game is now being played, at least in the NBA?
2: Um. I don't. I don't think he fits what the NBA is trying to do right now, but there's a spot in the NBA for Zach Eady. Zach Eady's too dominant of a college player, and he has too many, you know, like physically dominant, you know, size and his like his athleticism for how big he is. You know, he can move decently. He has good footwork. He has really nice soft hands, and also. You know he may not block a lot of shots on the stat sheet, but if you watch him play, he changes a lot of shots, and uh, that's just from his you know height and how you know long and tall he is. But his he's actually improved drastically from year to year. And when I watch him this year, he's making a lot of shots around the rim through contact with three or four people on him. And if you're an NBA scout or a GM, you've got to look at. You know he's not going to demand that much attention defensively in the NBA. So you have to think like, hey, what? How good would he be if he only had to go against one, maybe two players in the NBA? And that's a chance that the GM is going to have to take. And I think you can't ignore the fact how good he's been in college, given his size and what he's done and how dominant he's been. You can't ignore that and just kind of. You know, just because he doesn't fit the mold of what the NBA is trying to do right now, you have to take a look at him. And if I'm a GM, I say absolutely. I think, uh, you know, if I have a chance to take a guy like Zach Eady anywhere from, you know, 15 and on in the draft, I think I'm going to probably think hard on that and be really difficult to pass a guy like that.
1: Hey, Tyler, what – What piece of advice would you give Zach? I mean, both of you in very similar situations. You're, you know, college player of the year. Uh, You're going to the NBA. It is the next level. You're going to be playing against better guys. Uh, I'm sure it was an adjustment from you, for you. If you had a chance to sit down with Zach, albeit a different time period, and the game's a little bit different, what kinds of things would you talk to him about and say, hey, big fella, Here's something you have to be ready for that maybe you didn't see when you were, you know, you're grinding away in in West Lafayette.
2: Uh, Well, if I was to talk to Zach and he was wanting advice, I would just tell him to to be you just because you don't fit what the, the mold of the NBA is or, you know, what these, you know, GMs or, you know, what they want. You don't have to have every GM in the NBA to like you. All it takes is just one GM and have him believe in you. And I think, you know, honestly, he's surrounded by great coaching. Matt Painter's a great coach. Uh, And uh, if I were to tell him anything, is just keep developing your skill and keep working on your body and your footwork, especially because in the NBA you are going to have to switch out or, you know, stay in front of somebody much quicker than you just for a short amount of time. And I think working on his body and his footwork is going to drastically help him, especially on the defensive end, if he does get switched out on a smaller guy or a primary guy. But uh, I think he's got to keep, you know, doing what he does, developing his skill around the rim. And also, I mean, there's no reason he can't shoot like a short little mid-range jump shot because he's such a good free throw shooter. So that would be my advice to him.
0: Tyler, I, we we got to ask you, I know you, you, we, you. we've tied in a bunch of things here. You were talking about the Canadian Zach Eady. You mentioned Jonas Valanciunas. You, you, you brought up, uh, um, obviously, your NBA career and podcasting in general. On a recent uh, episode of, of one of your podcasts, I think it was, what, three, four weeks ago maybe, you were talking about Toronto, talking about your time in the league and mentioning, and I, wa- I don't want to put words in your mouth, but basically Toronto was your favorite stop, and, and it's among one of your favorite cities, period looking back on your time what was it that stood about stood out about your time as a raptor but specifically the connection that you made with the city with the fan base etc what was it that stood out about this place
2: uh, well to me is you know the energy that the fans brought and you would never think this but toronto you know as somebody who hasn't you know you know i just went to toronto when i was you know on other teams especially the pacers I didn't see much of the city but when I when I started playing and signed with the Raptors and started living there it's an amazing city it's young uh they have you know they almost sell out every game and in particular when I was there my first year it's not like we were really really good we we're heading we we're getting better but the fans still came out and cheered for us the atmosphere was crazy and the city the city is amazing and uh there's a lot more than uh, what I had had in mind uh, (laughs) to the city when I actually got to Toronto. Amazing restaurants, amazing people, and the city was um, beyond what I expected. And so looking back on my career, when I think about it, you know, I'm like, man, Toronto was the best city I've lived in. And uh, the atmosphere uh, that the fans provided, you know, was uh, better than – the other atmospheres and teams I played for in the NBA, so I I really appreciated Toronto, uh, especially as I look back on my career.
1: It's funny, Tyler, because I think that sentiment rings with a lot of players. And do you think, or how much do you think Toronto's still kind of a slept-on city? I mean, I look. I said this. I've been here since day one, and I said, just wait till people start to come here and understand what the city's about, and what the people are like and, and, you know, just Canadians in general. Why do you think Tyler, it's still kind of a, you know, still kind of a slept upon place. We, I mean, we got new people here this year and they're a quarter of the way into the season. They're going, wow, Toronto's a great city. It's like, well, yeah, like people were telling you that. Is it, is it just the fact that you have to experience it? What, why do you think people still kind of sleep on Toronto?
2: I don't know and maybe it's because you know it's not a lot of people have you know spent much time in Canada and they have this you know preconceived notion of what it's going to be like before they get there but you know when I got there it was nothing like I had built up in my mind I mean it's uh I do think it still slept on and I remember when you guys were making the run in the playoffs and I was so happy to see that Toronto was going to win an NBA championship just because I know the thought and what everyone thought about Toronto, you know, in the rest of the NBA and the perception that a lot of people had. And I was just so happy for you guys when you won it because it just seemed like such a hard task to get people to believe in Toronto and how good of a city it is if you haven't played there. And and also, the organization, when I was there, it was – you know there there's good people in the organization it was very friendly and it was family like and so i really enjoyed that aspect but uh the city is amazing the fans are the absolute best and um you know I, I have no explanation for why people continue to sleep on it uh besides the fact that they think it gets really cold which actually you know to me i i think uh, i played in Indianapolis i would argue that you know, it's not it's not colder than Indianapolis or Detroit. I mean, you make that argument; it's about the same temperature. So, you know, I have no idea.
0: Hey, man, we 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 need to get you on the show more often because Jonesy and I have been saying for years, like you tell me, it wasn't cold for Michael Jordan in Chicago or for or for Larry Bird and Kevin McHale and and KG in Boston. I mean, it's cold as hell in those cities as well too, Tyler. So you're you're preaching to the choir. We can talk about the the temperatures, especially in the winter time. Last one for me, at least, Tyler. When when you're sitting back as a fan watching that title run in 2019 for the Raptors knowing that you play a part in it you know you've played for the Raptors you were a part of that but literally and figuratively you were part of it as well because you were on two playoff teams albeit yes they were first round uh bowouts for the Raptors but those couple of years that's when things started to turn for Toronto and the wheels started in motion for the moves that would be made and the tweaks to the lineup and the trades that would be done to ultimately get the Raptors to the point where they were, if I'm not mistaken, about four years after your departure, where they finally had it culminate in that championship. So maybe just let us dig in a little bit deeper there to to your feelings of, again, your part of the building process of the turnaround of a team that had struggled for almost a decade that then went on an almost 10-year run of playoff teams, consistent playoff teams, and ultimately a championship as well.
2: Yeah, and, you know, when I watched the run, you know, in particular, I was really, I would worked with uh, Nick Nurse a lot. He was a guy who, uh, when I first got there, we would work out before uh, each game, and so he was a guy that I developed a relationship. One, I was really happy for him, but also uh, Kyle Lowry was one of the best teammates I've ever had uh, at any level, and I was there in Toronto when a lot of people doubted Kyle Lowry, and he he wasn't the player that he was on those championship teams. He was kind of still like his reputation wasn't, you know, he'd had some rough years in the NBA and he started, you know, to have his career and make a name for himself in Toronto. And so I was extremely happy for those two people, especially Kyle, because, uh, you know, to me, when I think of a Raptor who's been through, you know, the ups and downs, and then started the process of getting to the championship run you know, I really think of Kyle, and uh, I was really happy for him because I had seen how much work he put into his game and kind of how he, you know, built or rebranded himself, which is, you know, you know as an NBA vet, which is very difficult to do. And, uh, you know, watching him go through that process and put all that work in and for it to pay off in the way it did uh, that, was, that was really exciting and fun to watch. So I was happy in particular for those two players, and especially uh, Masai and the management and all the pieces they put together and how they did everything. Uh, I was happy for everybody uh, involved uh, from that aspect too.
1: Hey, hey, Tyler, last one for me. Um, I, I know you do a lot of college ball. Uh, when you're watching the college game and when you're watching the pro game, who are the guys that you you like to watch? You know, you turn on the TV or you look down the schedule and you go, oh, such and such is playing tonight or this team is playing tonight. And, you know, what is Tyler Hansbrough, the fan? Who does Tyler Hansborough, the fan, like to watch when he can kick back and, and watch a game and doesn't have to look at it for analytical purposes or scouting or TV or, or job? Or just the fan. Who do you like to watch? <laughs>
2: Uh I still like watching some of the players that I played with. Uh I like watching Jonas. Uh I like watching Kyle and uh but uh you know I I still watch a lot of DeMar but also, you know, Tyrese Hallenburton right now. Uh he's been incredible. Uh I always like watching uh Jonas play. I think he's he's spectac- spectacular and fun to watch. I like walk- watching Jokic because his game is so unique and uh honestly when you look at Jokic you would just never think that he's one of the best basketball players in the world and uh you know seeing you know him and how what he does on the court and how he makes it look so easy is uh spectacular. But also I watch my tar heels religiously and uh you know that, that goes you know not from uh an analytical lens but more from like a you know, a passion because that's where I went to school. But also, I like to watch Kansas play a lot. I really like the kid, um, the big. I'm kind of blanking on his name right now. But I've always liked Bill Self, and I think he runs a good program. I've always liked his uh, his style. Uh, Hunter Dickinson is the kid's name, the big for them. He's really fun to watch. And I like watching Zach Eadie just because, you know, he. it's not every day we get to watch a, a kid that's so dominant at that level. Uh, because he probably already been going to the NBA. So I think he's a special talent. I like watching those guys.
0: Tyler, it was great catching up with you, man. Really appreciate your time. Uh, best of luck with the pod and, and even more so with the pickleball. We'll be keeping an eye, man. All the best.
2: <laughs> I appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. Take care.
0: That was former Toronto Raptor NBA vet Tyler Hansbrough. Appreciate him joining us on the show. I'm going to have to get my pickle game going here, Jonesy. All right, we're going to step aside here. When we come back, the radio voice of the Atlanta Hawks is up next. Steve Holman will join us on Smith & Jones. Welcome back to Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Thanks again to Tyler Hansbro for joining us to start the show. And we uh, flip our attention now back over to the Raptors. And, well, an opponent that they're getting quite familiar with with this little mini baseball series that they've had or had against the uh, Atlanta Hawks. And uh, a victory for the Raptors on Wednesday night. And, uh, you know, we'll kind of see how things unfold, I suppose, on Friday. But we bring into the conversation the longtime radio play-by-play voice of the Hawks, Steve Holman. And, Steve, it's been an up-and-down season, I think, is the best way to say it for Atlanta, or an inconsistent season, much like it's been for the Raptors. I mean, the script is very similar. Is it injuries? Is it chemistry? Is it What is it, if you can put your finger on one or two things, as to why things haven't maybe been as fluid thus far for Atlanta?
3: Well, it's a good question. I think it's one that we're all trying to uh, ponder right now and figure out exactly. I will say injuries have been a part, but that's a part for everybody. Uh, There's a fellow named Jalen Johnson on this team that uh, a lot of people probably never really uh, knew a lot about, but he had been playing uh, some tremendous basketball for this team since Quinn Snyder took over last year with 20 games left. Uh, He was kind of brought off the bench, and he's been maybe not our best player, but I would say he's our most important player. And since he's been out, I believe the Hawks are 1-5 in uh, since he left. So it is a very important part. And uh, I think some of it is that. uh, Some of it could be uh, a chemistry thing where guys are still working on, uh, you know, getting their act together. And and I think some of it is picking up on Quinn's system, which is quite complicated. And, you know, he'll say that himself, that, you know, it takes a while for everybody to digest all of that. So, you know, all of that together – uh, and and giving up 123 points a game, uh, you know, has led to the the record that it is right now.
1: Steve, and, and this is kind of the perplexing part to me. I thought the Hawks had good success when Quinn came in on the fly last year, and maybe he maybe he dumbed it down for them. I don't know, but and I know there are personnel changes, but I, I'm kind of surprised that. The Hawks haven't fared better because they did so well under Quinn with with no training camp and and like I said, him coming in and getting on a moving a moving vehicle midstream last year, everything went well as well as it could, I guess, in that in that situation. And so I'm I'm kind of surprised and I, I'm I'm wondering, does he? You know, once they get healthy, does he, does he try to dumb it down? Does he try to make changes? Or is this just stay with it for the long haul and eventually things will get to where I want it to be?
3: Well, you're right, Paul. I think it's it's a long haul thing with Quinn. Uh, you know, he came in here uh, with those 20 games or so left last year and he didn't really change a lot uh, because he felt at that time it was, you know, really too late to try to put in a lot of different things, a lot of his own things. And this summer, you know, he changed the entire coaching staff, uh, changed a lot of the medical personnel. uh, And it's just taken a while, I think, for everybody to to get used to it all. And I I think that's part of it. Uh, But, we're you know, we're now 20, almost 25 games into the season. So, you know, he thought himself that maybe it would take Christmas, maybe a little later, to try to get everything together to where they wanted it to be. And these injuries have kind of set them back a little bit, too. But everybody's learning still. I think they're they're picking up on everything. And uh he said before the first game against you guys, uh somebody asked him about uh, you know, the standings and uh, you know, being in a battle with you guys for nine, ten, whatever. And he made a pretty good point. He said, I don't look at the standings this early in the season. You know, he said maybe later we can start looking at the standings, but right now his his main concern is for the team to get better every day and you know, maybe if that takes stepping take a step back to take a step forward, I think that might be where they're at right now. Uh, and, and like I said, it's a it, it's a pretty complicated system for everybody to digest. And they're all working hard on defense. Which you know, you look at the numbers and you say, well, look at the numbers. They're not that great on defense, but they are. Uh, they're 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 working on that. I mean, Trey uh, uh, Trey Young especially has has made some pretty good strides on defense. I mean. You know, this is really the first time in his pro career that he's kind of been asked to to step up and play some defense, and he's been he's been pretty good, stealing balls and you know stepping in front of passes and things like that. So, um, you know, Quinn's not worried. So if Quinn's not worried, I'm not worried. Uh, you know, we've seen it all in the past, good, bad, and different. So I, I think he's he's the right man for the job for sure, and I, I really think that they will uh, ultimately get this thing turned in the in the right direction.
0: Steve, uh, when I made the comparison to the to the Raptors and the, the Hawks off the top, um, I, I, I guess my comparison was at least currently speaking. If I were to look at the trajectory of where the teams are heading, I don't know if the paths are the same. I don't know if Atlanta is on a different path than Toronto, if they're both on that same path. So let, let, let me project my Raptors onto you and see if you agree that it's the same as the Hawks or not. Jones and I were chatting before Wednesday night's game about whether or not there needs to be a change to the starting lineup, which I know Atlanta has been forced to do because of injuries and whatnot, whether a trade needs to be made. You know, you, you don't live under a rock. You know that there have been a lot of rumblings about whether the Raptors might move Pascal Siakam and or OG Ananobi. In fact, Atlanta is even mentioned as one of those teams going back to the offseason as potential suitors or at least having interest in Pascal. But to the point you just made about Quinn Snyder making that it's too early and I don't even look at it. What would you say to a Raptor fan base? Do you look at the Raptors, Steve, as an outsider and say, this is a team that should be projecting to be better, top five, top six, not somewhere in the 7, eight, nine, 10, 11 range? Uh, do you think well, that, you know, like, like how do you assess things?
3: Well, you're right, Eric. I mean, I, I think both teams are kind of in the same boat as far as the projections. Uh, you know, the Hawks, I, I believe, had, had uh, their sights set on top six you know to avoid the play in thing which we've been in the last two years mm-hmm. uh, and have moved forward in, in both of those years in fact the hawks beat Miami if you remember last year in a play in game and as it turns out it was the best thing that ever happened to Miami because they you know they made it all the way to the eastern finals uh by us beating them they got to play Milwaukee and they beat Milwaukee the hawks had to play the Celtics and they went 6 games in that series uh and, and lost but uh i think both teams are kind of in the same boat but You know, uh, based on the first game between these two teams, the Hawks have been a pretty good medicine for you guys because uh, everybody that was not shooting the ball started to shoot it in that game, and and the three-pointers went crazy. So uh, I I think they're both kind of in the same boat, and and I kind of agree with Quinn, really, that that both teams are are learning, you know, kind of new systems, and uh, I, I don't think we have to worry about either team. I mean, maybe a month from now, Uh, if things are about the same as they are, well, I'd say, all right, well, maybe it's time to start worrying.
1: Steve, you've been around for a long time. Uh, Have you seen, uh, you know, I know Quinn doesn't look at the standings, but I'm sorry, I do. (laughs) And you look at the (laughs) East, you look at the East with the exception of the three teams, three, four, three, four teams, maybe at the bottom that are really scuffling. Adam Silver's got to be happy with the parity. The fact that there are so many teams, and with this new expanded playoff format, there are so many teams that, while well, you projected, are going to be in this thing right to the end. And you just said Atlanta's been in the playing game the last two years. Uh, you know, give me your summation of the East right now.
3: Well, it's interesting because I, I think the one team that everybody's a little surprised at not doing as well as we thought is Milwaukee. And uh, you know they're in a situation too. They have Adrian Griffin as their new coach, uh, and you know maybe that takes a little bit of uh, getting used to too. I mean he was he was pretty much approved and and got the seal of approval from Giannis, and uh, you know maybe they're taking a little while. But but the top teams, you know, uh, Boston's right there, and uh, the Knicks have injury problems right now, so maybe they'll fall back a little bit from what they are. I'm not sure about the Pacers either. Uh, you know, being there. But it but it is a scramble. You take the top three and then you get the rest of us. And like you say, the bottom the bottom teams I don't think are gonna be improving a lot. Uh so I think it's a scramble for who's gonna end up five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. And and certainly we all wanna be in that top six to avoid the play in. I mean the the play in is uh you know, it's been great for the NBA and those play in games have, have gotten pretty good ratings, uh, you know, on ESPN when they when they broadcast those and uh, I think that the the commissioner loves it. The league likes it. I'm not so sure the teams are are that thrilled that that have to finish, you know, seven eight that in the past they would be automatically in, but now they have to play in a play in. So uh, I think it's been good for the league. I don't know how good it is for the teams.
0: So Steve, you might have just touched on this a little bit, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. Um, I say it respectfully. Jonesy just Jonesy said it first, Steve. So so don't blame me. You've been around a while, and I say that with respect. You've been calling games a long time. You've seen a lot of different generations of the league. Your take as a fan, let alone as a broadcaster, on the play-in, but now also the in-season tournament, because the league, to their credit, has tried a lot of different things the last couple of years, and for the most part, they seem to be batting a 1,000 right now. I mean, baseball's still stuck in the mud with a lot of stuff. NFL hasn't really had to change a whole lot of things, necessarily, but... The NBA, and heck, if we throw the NHL into the mix too, the NBA has been the most progressive in terms of trying things, and they seem to be hitting them out of the park each time.
3: Yeah, I know. I I think this play-in, the play-in has been great, and I think the end-season tournament is something that, you know, everybody's going to, it's going to grow on everyone, I think. And it was was kind of a hit, uh, I believe. You know, the ratings that they put out were good. Uh, They didn't surpass Christmas games. Which have always been, uh, you know, a top pick for the for the NBA, and uh, of course the NFL now is kind of step on their toes too by playing. Last year they played Christmas games; they're playing them again this year. Uh, but I think that the the, the commissioner and the league they, they've been really trying to come up with things, and uh, you know they're they're using that kind of soccer roadmap. I think about you know the uh, the in season tournament. Uh, certainly, players, uh, especially the ones that were we're in the final semifinals and, and whatever, they got the extra money. And I think they all like that. Uh, you know, I'm not so sure about the trophies part of it. I guess that, that, that means something to, to some of the guys, but uh, I think it's been good. I mean, it, it, and they don't sit on their hands. I think that's the biggest thing that I've seen over, you know, this is my 39th year with the Hawks and, you know, people ask too about the game itself and they, I like it. I like the three point shots. I, I like the excitement of it. I like the up and down the floor and, you know i would rather see a game like we had wednesday night where you know what was it 135 to 123 or whatever it was i'd rather see that than the old you know rock'em sockam em 80s 90 early 90s games when it was like 89 87 i mean you know those games were were fine for what they were but uh you know i, I kind of like it now and i think the athletes are better now too the the, the basketball players are better right now
1: no, no question about that, Steve. Uh, I, look, the excitement and um, it's a much more aesthetically pleasing game. I do want to ask you, though, we we, we talked to uh, we talked to Tyler Hansborough about this. The way the game is going from a personnel standpoint where big guys are feeling that, well, I better have a three point shot. And just the, you know the physical nature of the game, some of it seems to be disappearing. Eric and I were talking off air, and you could probably vouch for this. 25 years ago, there's no way Draymond Green is ever getting to this point because as soon as he acts up, one of the other guys in the league, one of the tough guys will, will take him aside or after they knock him down, help him up and say, hey, young fellow, we don't play like that. Um, so yeah, that's just a, your thought exactly on right. where, I, they, they, where the game is.
3: Guys police themselves back in those days. I mean, you look back at some of the uh, the old clips of the like the Celtics and Lakers with the Rambus thing and Kevin McHale and the clothesline, and you know guys would be suspended like Draymond Green is now. It definitely, if anything like that happened, uh, you know back in those days they got up and shot two free throws. I mean that was about the extent of it. Uh, but it is a lot more physical. I think one of the things that's happening too uh, that that makes it less physical. Is that the European players? I think are really starting to 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 come in and 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 take control here of the NBA because I you know they play one game a week basically uh, and they practice the rest of the time all week. Uh, the the players in the in 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 this country, in your country, in my country, they they play these games almost every night. They're in this AAU thing and where they nobody nobody teaches players anything. They just play every night now and they're all. All these coaches in the AAU and everything, they're, they're, they're looking for who's, who's going to get their next sneaker contract and that kind of thing. So I, I think that we're seeing the European players really taking a stronghold on the NBA right now.
0: You know, Steve, I wasn't even going to go here, but you, you bringing up the, the European players and the stranglehold they have, in our conversation we had earlier in the show with Tyler Hansbro, he was talking about the, the, the big man and how much the big man has changed and the fact that so many bigs now, almost every big, needs to have at least the potential threat of maybe kind of sorted I might be able to knock down a three, let alone a bunch of them that actually can do so on a regular basis. And we got into conversation with them but when or if we will ever see a return to a traditional big that's back to the basket, that's down in the post, or if that will ever switch. Do you think that changes at all at any point, Steve, or are we going in a completely different direction with the future of this league and what they want from players no matter the size?
3: Well, I, I think it's coming back to a little bit of the big man game, but you're right though. The the, the big men all have to shoot threes, uh, but it is starting to come back to a, a, a better you know a, a better place for the big guys now. Uh, but but I don't know how much it's going to change. I mean, players love the three point shot. I think Steph Curry changed a lot of that for kids that started watching him. You know, when he first started playing, and uh, you look at Trey Young, and he you know he shoots from anywhere on the court, and and kids see guys like that, and they they start doing that when they're in, you know, grade school, and, and get into high school, and start heaving that ball up on three pointers, which, you know, it's entertaining. Uh, but but I don't know if we're ever going to get back to that point where, you know, guys are in the gym every day and, and working on defense and the physical part of it. Uh, I think that has changed at least for now. And it, and as long as the the ratings are good and the the game is successful and. You know, we're selling out buildings every night. Uh, I think it's it's probably not going to change very much.
1: Steve, last one for me. Um, I, I think about what Eric and we were talking about with the play-in and the in-season tournament, and there are people that are saying, well, there should be more incentive for the tournament. And I, the, my perspective is, hey, wait a minute. We've got this tournament for – it's not for people like Steve Holman and 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 Eric Smith and Paul Jones, who will watch Atlanta against Boston on a Tuesday night in November. We're watching anyway. We're, we're watching anyway. Right. It's recruiting kind of the casual fan. And people are saying, well, there should be a playoff spot with the in-season tournament championship. And I say, hang on a second. Like, we've only played a quarter of the season. Like, why are we putting big incentives on this? And I really hope the league, I mean, the trophy and the banner, I mean – there's part of me that says, yeah, it's good. Just give them the $500,000. thousand. do not give everybody a trophy. Oh, well, in my eyes, it's like, this is great. But you've won something in the first quarter of the season. You've, you've showed that you can lead the marathon after the first lap. That's great. But it doesn't mean anything in the long haul. Uh, you know, your thoughts on that, and, and maybe the league trying to incentivize the tournament even more. I think they've done a great job. I'd like to see the tiebreaker system change. You know, there's some ideas around that, but otherwise, we're still we're we're not even at Christmas yet. And there's been a banner, money, a trophy, and a champagne <laughs> celebration.
3: Right. Uh, I agree with you. I I think that you know you can't over uh, produce that. Uh, you know, it's a good thing, like you said, for the casual fan to maybe watch or or. Or see it and and think, hey, this is pretty cool. Maybe we'll watch some other games as the season goes on. And I think they are trying to, you know, it's an 82-game schedule. And and I hear people talk about that all the time. Well, they only need to play 60 games. That's never going to happen. I mean, the owners are never going to let that happen. There's too much money involved playing an 82-game schedule. You know, whether the players like it or not, that's the way it's going to be. And, you know, fans can talk till they're blue in the face about that. uh, all the time on on talk shows and everything else but uh and players you know I, I think the commissioner's done a good job with that too about cutting down on these resting days and, and things like that so uh i, I don't think that's going to change but i well, i do i do think though that that the the, the uh the season tournament has been uh generally i'd say it's a good thing steve we appreciate the time as always all right you guys thank you you've given us an extra day here to uh spend money and uh help the local economy
0: That was the longtime radio play-by-play voice of the Atlanta Hawks, Steve Holman. And uh, Jones, we got into a lot of stuff with with Steve and with Tyler Hansborough earlier in the show. Uh, Certainly uh, lots to uh, dive into and lots to discuss. And maybe next week we can dig a little bit deeper into Draymond Green, too, because that's going to be something that will be chatted about for, I'm sure, many weeks and potentially months to come.
1: Well, it'll be interesting to see how uh long the indefinite suspension is and you know as we said during the broadcast you know we were told that the rest of the year is is on the table and i mean now does the players association get involved Um, uh, you know the, it, he's being suspended without pay right is that isn't that what we, we you mentioned yep. that on the air right yep. without pay although he can still practice so this is really hitting him in the wallet. So it it yeah, I'm sure there'll be a lot of discussion around it, and uh, uh, you know something that you're right. Maybe we should be diving into next week and getting some opinions and seeing what some of these people that are connected to the league have to say about it.
0: Thanks to Austin Mackey and Mark Boffel, our producers of this fine program. Make sure you subscribe to Smith and Jones wherever you get your podcasts as well on uh, Apple, Spotify, or otherwise. Download, subscribe, rate, and review. Back again next Thursday with another edition of Smith & Jones.